0: Well, there's a number of things about those slides uh, that I want you to remember. Uh, One is how big I used to be. You notice I was sitting on one side of the the table from all the other pastors because I was eating as much food as everybody else was. Uh, That's uh, our privilege today and a surprise for us. You didn't know about this. Uh, Most of you didn't. It's our privilege today to have our uh, church planter, our pastor uh, from Honduras, here with us today he was in visiting family and was able to come and be with us uh for this week so he's going to be around town a little bit this week and so uh uh, pastor dario is has been a great friend of mine aaron slater introduced me to him uh i went reluctantly on a mission trip about seven eight years ago i think uh went reluctantly fought it until god said go and we went and uh, and it's just been amazing how the lord has opened doors pastor to allow us to to be together uh, it started with just a f- uh, with the, the week that we were there God opened the door for us to to go and to teach uh, and do training for pastors and we've done medical mission trips uh, some of our, our our a medical mission trips some of our people went a number of uh, other trips in the villages uh, doing ministry there and then training pastors now for for six years off and on we took a three-year sabbatical and then this past summer god y'all know as we were preaching through the book of acts god just opened up the doors for us to multiply the gathering place and now we have a uh, uh, 10 counting pastor dario and not counting all of his crew but 10 pastors uh, who have adopted the gathering place distinctives things that god's given us so they are churches like us uh, it's amazing to me to see this man though who's a 72 year old millennial uh, to see a, a, a pastor who's been in the ministry for so many years and in really in a, in a culture that's very similar, a church culture that's very similar to ours, that God was working in his heart to, to prepare him to be able to reach out in a way that would reach the next generation. And so he embraces all the things that we're about at the gathering place. And, uh, and so I just wanted him to come today, since he's in town, to come and share a few minutes, a uh, testimony of what the Lord's doing in Honduras And then, Pastor, we're going to pray for you and and for the pastors in Honduras uh, before our message. So you come share with us. Good friend. All right, everybody make him feel relaxed. Y'all okay? Say, oh, yeah. Yeah. Say, relax, Dario. Okay, there you go. You're at home, that's right. And you have to listen carefully to his English because he mumbles. All right?
1: That's the only truth you have said. Uh, thanks very much. I really feel honored to be with you. And as I said at the beginning, I feel at home. I'm not shaking, trembling. <laughs> you see, I have five, five, five minutes, but I've been—I really, the Lord has taken me to to places that I never dreamed, never dreamed. I've been in large, mega you know, churches. Um, I've been blessed, but I'm not as I'm being blessed here. Um, I know you; you know me through Pastor Glen, through Aaron, um, um Chris, who have been in the, in the field where the Lord has put us, and uh, I'm bringing you in the heart of all the people that have been in touch with you through to the ministry of Pastor Glenn. I would like to climb to the, for the service that Pastor Glenn has done for the believers. Yeah. It really appears in the time that I was shouting to the Lord. Uh, Lord, give us new direction. Lord, send people that love you, that have a heart of flesh and he did, and thank you, brother and Pastor, Pastor Glen. My wife sent you greetings, and she she doesn't feel like flying. Uh, you know that but but she loves you, and everybody loves you what What shall I say, chair, in, in in half an hour that Pastor Glen <laughs> I wrote something in order to keep, just to read it and then be through. Because, uh, you know, a, past, a pastor is hard to stop in my country. I know all of you will stand up and leave me alone if I preach. If I preach, I'm not going to preach. I'm going just to, to share, really. First... Um, getting in touch with Pastor Glenn, uh, I, want re- re- I want to really to, to exalt this, to put this apart, because there are different sec- uh, sections in my life as a pastor. Uh, before, before Pastor Glenn chose in my life, in my ministry, uh, I have a, the Lord had blessed me with the ministry. Then when he appeared, he started with me talking. Uh, from the same Bible, uh, from the book, <laughs> empty and busy. I read it, and I fell in love with the book before beginning in partnership. With, I really, they said, oh, this we agree. I agree. This is for, it's what I believe. See? We need, and then we. <laughs> I read it. I, I had to translate for him what he preached about the abiding cycle. And I took that as something that, as a good food. I. I took my time and I took my dictionary because the I had never listened, so but it was, uh, the Lord was really putting a blessing in my life, uh, so I decided that we were going to have a seminary with all the pastors, we, we have uh, 10 pastors with in fact we have 17, well 17 churches, small churches five of which we need to help more but uh, we have a twelve that are that are growing, and then um, the Lord started doing, started a new a new season in the church. So, and being in that, one day I was reading that, I was praying in my, in my my time with the Lord, and uh, it's, it is it, like the Lord spoke me. <laughs> Uh, well, the Lord is the Lord. Lord. He's God. He can speak. I'm not afraid to say that. The Lord spoke to me because I was thinking in in Noah. I was thinking Abraham, Moses. I I called my attention when the Bible said, and the Lord spoke. And the Lord spoke to Noah, spoke to Abraham, Moses. And he got me to that disciple. But all of a sudden, the Lord told me, that time is gone. Now is my time with you. I want, I want to make business with you. I want, I want to do something new with you. Uh, and this is the message that, that I have. Uh, it is a time for you and the Lord, not for you and the pastor and the deacons. I've been preaching about this to the church. The Lord said to you, for you, to live for him. He gave his life like he was singing. But it's, it's personal. When we take this, there will be nothing impossible. Because he's my Lord who spoke to me. I spoke to him. Sometimes he speaks through, through the pastor. But I need I need to speak with him every day. To listen to his voice every day. So that is what we are teaching to the pastor. And what happened is that they are in a, in a new season. All the pastors are really excited. The, the last thing that I want to share with you is that we have a disciple who were grown up in the, in the child. We have a child care center. And they were growing up. And now they are, uh, our three are graduated from the university. to the engineers. And I've been teaching about, them about reaching the world, going to the world. So it was a time for me to take the book, uh, uh, The Biden Cycle, and uh, just assign to each eight, eight Jews uh, who are leaders. Um, I told him, uh, I want you to to teach about this topic uh, to the Jews. And we had a retreat of three days, and they and they did that. So when I was sitting, like Pastor Glenn is listening to me, and you, when I was sitting there, I was saying, Lord, how short is the time? <laughs> the time has passed soon. It's, it seems yesterday that these people were children. They were small. And now they are sharing what you have given them. And I say, praise God. Praise the Lord. So seven, eight, eight, eight Jews are, were transferring what they learned about the the dividing cycle. And then in the church, church other thing that happened is that the Lord led me obeying what the Lord told me, it is my time with you. Okay. Now you this is also my time with my with your member, church member. So so I said, okay the Lord has spoken and you you are going to be pastor <laughs> we call it circle. We're the same believing uh, living, living la, uh, group. Life group life group, so we, we call c- cycle, cycle, circle because it's a, the, the strategy is that they they have to make a frame uh, from that frame they have to make a brother <laughs> and from that brother, they have to make a disciple, and from that disciple, a disciple maker um, so. It's like an evolution. Revolution. Uh, everybody in the church is happy when, it, when I say that, uh, and I talk to some of the ladies. And say, oh, "No, that is awesome! I'm going to have a, uh, a circle in my house, and I'm going to buy my friend, uh, my neighbor. And, uh, I know we're going to make a frame, and he's going to receive the Lord, uh, and I'm going to disciple. That is awesome!" And I said, "What you are doing?" I said, "No, but it's, in our country, it's a little different because of the culture, see. We, we have small groups, but in that small group, the Lord is moving. The last example, how, how many minutes I have? Three? <laughs> we are in Honduras. <laughs> What was the last thing I was going to tell you? <laughs> I cannot, I cannot make a joke now and keep the, I keep the link as before. You see, <laughs> only Pastor for the with John can do that. But now I was going to say something about um, now. Okay, I got it. Uh, I received a a call an invitation from some friend who have been who have so many, many friends, missionaries who are gone there. They you want you to come here. We're going to. To pay the ticket and say, "Okay, I didn't want to, but if the Lord open the door, I will, I will go." And the Lord just sparked him. Okay, New Orleans. In New Orleans, I have a lot, a lot of friends and family, relatives, and I had the opportunity to be in three, in three places, and these places are now gathering places. They invite me to preach. So they have a seat, the chair like this and then I say, Okay, we're going to make a circle. And they start sharing what I have been sharing with you. This is it's your time. It's your time. You start you start giving giving all what you do, what you are to the Lord. And we we have we have two. Two gathering places in the Orleans. Uh, one thing I want you to pray is that I have a friend in Monroe that uh, this Betty John have uh, two children Now we got in touch. we had the same, he said, he told me, he started saying, uh, Dario, I'm tired of the church. And I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to do. I go to the church and I don't feel good. Then I started cheering, cheering about, abiding, it's, it's not, it's your time with the Lord and then and then he, we, we continue at, 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 to the point that he wants he want me to spend some time one day with him just talking about this. Because if you pray for this, it will be a, another gathering place in Monroe. He's a person, he seems to be a, 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 a young boy that loves the Lord. He had to give for the music. Um, I think he's ready. So you pray for that. Uh, what else can I share? You can ask questions, and maybe you. you have a question that you can answer. Um, I will ask you, <laughs> have you thought in that before? It's, it's my time with the Lord. It's the Lord and I, and me. I haven't, I haven't seen in that before. In my 52 years, of past, I never thought in that. Really, I was... <laughs> I was depending on Abraham, Isaac, Moisés, the prophet and the apostle, the apostle Paul. It's okay. It's okay. But it's my time. The Lord is spoke to me. And it's, it doesn't matter what, how old you are, how young you are. Uh, at 72, I received that. And I believe that, that the Lord had grace in him. And he goes, expanding ministry. We're going to reach the heaven with the gospel. Um, I'm going to preach, so uh, I'll let you have a question. Uh, and this time, I want to congratulate myself because I didn't <laughs> preach Love. <long. laughs>
0: All right, Pastor. We want to uh, just pray for you. So if you step down here and... Uh, And I I hope, uh, as we pray for him, that you also uh, I have heard his message. You know, the message is clear. It's it's time for us, right, to do our ABCs. Um, I I appreciate Pastor Dario's heart. He is pushing this to his people, and his people are taking on the challenge. Uh, Many of them have not had the privilege of being able to uh, have heard this for years, and yet they're already putting it into practice and excited about getting their their friends and neighbors into their house uh, to to bless them, ultimately to share the gospel with them, and then to disciple them. So, let's take that challenge for ourselves. Okay, so that's from the Lord for us. Father, we we ask your uh, blessing on Pastor Dario and uh, his church, God, and all of the uh, the gathering place churches, all the churches in Honduras. Lord, there's so many. Uh, new churches and houses that are beginning to form. And God, we pray for your blessing to be on those, that you would help those uh, leaders to be the pastors that you are calling them to be to the people that you place in their lives. We pray for strong friendships to develop and for for, uh, these children of God to be able to bless those who come, uh, listening to them, eating with them, serving them, And then ultimately, Lord, that you would open up doors for the gospel to be shared and for people to be saved. We know that this is your work and it doesn't require us, but we have the blessing of being able to be used by you. So we pray for Pastor Dario as he continues to represent you, Lord, as a church planter and that you would give him open doors. And thank you for the doors that were opened in New Orleans and pray for the one in Monroe tomorrow and others that you would open up, God, to plant churches. To help people to understand, Lord, the desire that you have to walk intimately with us—that we are no different than those uh, biblical characters that you mentioned today, God—but we are, we are special to you and loved by you, and you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we can walk with you and know your will. So help us with that, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you, Pastor Dario. Man, how you follow that, right? Golly. Well, I'm uh I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Uh Pastor Dario, thank you very much for that testimony and for the work that you're doing in Honduras. And uh I'm excited to to see what the Lord's gonna continue to do there. Um we talked a lot last week about the plagues. We're if you're new here this morning, if you hadn't been in a while, we're working through the book of Exodus um with this idea, this vision that God has given us to join him. To set people free, and so last week we, we, are, we looked at the, the chapters eleven and twelve out of Exodus, and spent a lot of time in looking at the first nine plagues and and all of the ways in which God was working in the lives of the Egyptians and the Israelites to prove himself and to to make it known to to the Egyptian people that he was the one true God, and that that their their, their beliefs that there were these many gods that controlled different aspects of their lives was not true that he was the one, one true God. And he used these plagues to show his power uh, over the gods of Egypt and to establish his name in that place. We talked about how he made a, a very clear distinction between the Hebrew people and the Egyptian people and, and that God is saying to the Hebrews, you are my people, I am doing this work for you to claim you as my own i 'm um, super creative, and so uh, I titled this passage uh, this message today: the Passover continued um, you 're welcome okay I know that 's really exciting for you guys, um, but what I wanted to do, Glenn and I were talking this week, and, and I, I shared with you guys last week there was so much text there, um, and we had so much going on that it was it was more of what do I not say than what do I do say um, and so I wanted to just spend some more time today looking at the Passover. Uh, you know, as, as, if you've studied the Passover at all, you know that that festival lasted for seven days, so we're actually uh, today in the end of Passover, and so it's, it's just really, really interesting. So the, the, the overall idea, if we look at the plagues, we look at the first nine, and then we look at this last plague where, um, where, where God strikes down the, the firstborn of the Egyptians, um, what we see in the first nine plagues is that God is using Moses and Aaron. Um, in very specific ways in order to communicate who God is and what he does. And so Moses and Aaron will make a statement to Pharaoh on God's behalf, and then God will do a work. And then in this last plague, we see that, again, God sends Moses and Aaron. They give Pharaoh a warning. He does not heed that warning, and then God does what God does. Um, he, he completes the work that he says he's going to do. And, and what's really interesting about this passage, about this text, is that this this moment that is happening, this Passover, was bigger than, than just this single moment, this single, single act of God, that God is defining something new, something that's happening. Often when we look at what God's doing in our life, we, we look at it with blinders on. Um, for those of you who don't know much about horses, they put these, you've seen them in New Orleans if you've been there, they put these things on horses' eyes called blinders so they can only see what's right in front of them. And we look at things in our lives that way a lot of times. Is We we don't have the view that God has. And when God's doing something in our lives, we have blinders on. And so we only are able to see what's happening in this moment. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, a lot of times when I looked at this story, I had blinders on. And I can only see in this moment God is doing this work just for the sake of freeing the Israelite people. When in fact, God is doing something much, much bigger than that. We see that that God is preparing to set his people free forever, not just from Pharaoh. That God is is doing a work that is going to change their history forever. And he wants his people to remember what he's done for him. He goes through all of this process and we see this, this event happening that we call the Passover and God is putting all of that in place so that we will remember that God is the only one that is doing the work to free his people. That it's God doing this, it's not Moses, it's not Aaron, it's God. So let's look at Exodus 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to talk about that a little bit. So it says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, then he, he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what you can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. God is creating a new start for them. And here it says this will be the first month of many months for you. And God is communicating that this is a new start, that he is marking a change with a new ritual. So God is saying, I'm doing a new work I'm creating something new, and this is going to change everything for you. Now, let's, let's talk about this, this word ritual for a minute because we, we equate that with traditions, okay? I don't know how many of you guys know my little brother Jacob. I'm going to pick on him for just a minute, okay? My little brother Jacob's an awesome guy. Jonathan, you will appreciate this because you work with him. Jacob, if we do something one time as a family, it has become a tradition. And the next year when that rolls around, if we don't do it again, Jake's all in a knot, Because we didn't follow the tradition. And we said, Jake, we just did it once. It's not a tradition. Yes, it is. Okay? When we think about traditions, we we talk a lot about dead religion here, right? We talk about how the Lord has freed us from just doing things for the sake of doing them. And when we think about the word ritual or we think about traditions, our minds automatically, at least for me, my mind automatically jumps to the idea of dead religion. And they can be. They can become that. Or they can be something greater many of the traditions that we celebrate as a church, even as the gathering place, began in truth. It was God was doing a work, God set, um, like the Passover, a set of, of things that we are to do so that we can remember what He has done. And, and either we do that and it's a, a part of, of our worship and it's a part of our interaction with God or we, we turn it into something else where we're just doing it because somebody told us we were supposed to do it. And that's never been the intent, okay? Mostly that happens because you and I personally do not engage our hearts and our minds with the activity that God is doing in the moment. That when we are, like last week when we celebrated the Lord's Supper and we had communion together, I don't know about you, but for me, I know there are many a times where I've taken the Lord's Supper and did not engage my heart with what God was doing in that moment and wasn't thinking about what God had done to bring us to that point. When you I don't know if you guys have experienced this. a good example of that is, have you ever been reading a book and you realize that you've read a whole page and you have no idea what you just read, and you have to kind of reset and go back to the beginning and start again? I think that's what happens to us in here, in this room. I think it happens in life group. I think it happens in our personal time with the Lord. And I say I think those things happen because I know that they happen for me. And I know that I'm not unique and I know that it's hard work sometimes but we have to engage our hearts and our minds in order to to stay plugged into what God and what the Holy Spirit are trying to do okay so don't carry that idea of dead religion in with this tradition when we talk about passover i want you to realize that what we're talking about Now, obviously, we are in a new covenant now, okay? And we'll talk about that in a little while. But for them, this Passover, this ritual that God is establishing, this is not a thing to do just because we need something to do when we gather together to worship. This was not a to-do list. This was God engaging their hearts, engaging their emotions with what he's doing, okay? So God says, this month will be for you the beginning of months. He's saying this is something new. As I think about this, it reminds me of when we take covenant vows in marriage that before we take those covenant vows we are two separate people but when we make that covenant with one another and with God God says I am creating something new and now you are one person you were something before but now you are something different because of what God is doing in your life okay so that same idea we want to carry that forward that that something new is happening so as we look at the passover engage your hearts engage your mind and realize that god is doing a new work in the lives of the israelites and it means everything for you and i okay this is the beginning of what god ultimately is going to do with jesus on the cross and we're going to see that foreshadowing so let's move on to verses five and six it says your lamb shall be without blemish a male a year old you may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Look, we get the benefit of knowing what's coming for them and for us because we live on this side of the cross, right? For them, this was a, this was, slaughtering a lamb was not an uncommon thing. That's how they ate, right? That was part of their food sources. But for God to give them very specific instructions on, get the lamb on this day, slaughtered on this day the Lord is doing something he's putting these practices in place because he's trying to create an idea for them they don't have a full understanding yet of what's coming they don't get to see the foreshadowing that's happening because they don't they don't know what we know but they know that God's given it to us so let's look at some of these things a lamb without blemish a male a year old for them that was something that was very costly right your prize animal. A male, a year old, that's right at the perfect point of maturity when they're redder, ready for slaughter. You're welcome for being a farmer knowing some of this stuff. Okay? That's the perfect time for a lamb. That's when it's ready. Okay? For us, when we think of the perfect lamb, we know now because of this side of the cross that what God was re- referring to was in that perfection, in that unblemished, is that we're going to see a sinless Savior who is at the perfect point of maturity when God calls him to ministry. To go and be the sacrifice for us. God does it in his timing. Verse, verse 7 in chapter 12. Then they shall take some of the blood. And put on the two doorposts And the lintel of the houses in which they eat. The blood of the lamb covering them. Is going to cause God to pass over them. When he comes to strike down the Israelites. For us we know now that, that that blood of the lamb. Is the blood of Jesus that covers us. And so that when God looks at us. He doesn't see our sin, but he sees the perfection of Jesus. Let's go to verses 8 through 13. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belts fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The roasting of the meat, the eating of the unleavened bread, both of these are really quick ways to prepare a meal, okay? And the Lord is communicating something, okay? Just like Dario was talking about a ago where God is saying it's time. We've talked about that in this church that now is the time. God is saying to the Israelite people, do this thing, but do it in this way because you're going to need to move quickly. Because when I come and tell Pharaoh to let you go, and he does, you need to be ready. And for us, when we look at that, the understanding is, is that as we are engaging in the Lord, we need to do that with our sandals on and our belts fastened, ready to go to work as He calls. That we're ready to step out in obedience as God calls us to do that. It talks about if the meat's not completely consumed, um, that it needs to be burned. And the reason for that is in their sacrificing. Um, they, if it wasn't completely consumed, it wasn't considered a sacrifice. Okay, And so the reason that we see God commanding that, that if one family can't consume the whole lamb, that they bring more together is so that this sacrifice... Can be done perfectly again, foreshadowing what Christ is going to do for us on the cross. Okay, and then again, eating this way is pointing to the fact that when God moves, they need to respond quickly; that they need to be ready for action. Okay, let's move forward in verse fourteen through twenty. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats this, what is leavened, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold uh, a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever." In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at the evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your house. For if anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Passover is a call to worship. We see all these things happening. God putting all of these rules in place. And God is establishing a right for them to keep so that they will always remember what He did. That's what all of this is about. This is not just about a new way to cook food. It's not about, you know, God was like, hey, I saw this on the Food Network. It's going to be really good if you cook your lamb this way. Okay? God is preparing them for a work that He's doing. And His intent is not just to give them something to do. Look, I grew up in a a very liturgical church, okay, it's no secret, you guys know I grew up a Methodist, you don't hold that against me, I appreciate it, okay, but in the churches that I grew up, there were things that we did, I don't know why, we just did it, like every Sunday from the time I started church until I left that church, we sang one of two songs at the end of every service, we either sang Because He Lives, okay, you guys know that hymn, or we would sing It Only Takes a Spark, I don't know if the Baptists know that one, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, okay, all right, yeah, all right, so every Sunday, look, y'all, I can, I can sing those songs, you don't want to hear me sing them, but I can sing those songs from heart, even to this day, I hadn't sung them in years, but here's the deal, I didn't know why we did that, the whole church would gather together, we'd hold hands, everybody felt really good about each other, and we sang, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, and then we all went on about our lives, we're so guilty of that, it's easy for me to make fun of somebody else, right, but I was in on that, I was a part of it, Okay. That's not God's intent for the church. This Passover, this is meant to be worship every time. And this requires us to be mentally and spiritually engaged. It requires that we plug in to what God is doing. For us, we live under the new covenant and the Lord's Supper. That's the new rite or the new ritual that Jesus has commanded us to do. Okay, again, He didn't tell us to do that just because um, it's something... New to do in our church service okay he told us to do that as a as a a way to remember and it's an act of worship the only way that that happens for us is for us to be intentional as we partake as we participate in that that tradition in verse 24 it says you shall observe this rite as a statue for you and your sons forever okay why are we doing this because at some point somebody's going to look around and go hey why are we eating lamb this way i'm tired of eating it this way and God's going to say, through all of this stuff, this is why you're doing it. You, you eat lamb this way, you eat bread this way at this time, because remember that thing that I did? It gives us an opportunity for a conversation, for, for us to look at the things that the Lord has commanded us to do and say, there's meaning here. We may have forgotten, we may have unengaged our minds and our hearts for a while, but there's a reason that we are doing these things. God is giving them handles in which to hold on to this story. You see that? God is, is giving them an emotional and a physical reminder of what he's done for them. I, I'm saying it's emotional because it's a significant thing that happened in their life. And there are going to be things in your life that are going to be significant that the Lord does or that happen to you. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this or not. It's very real for me. But you may smell something or hear something, or taste something, and immediately it brings you back to that moment. Have you experienced that before? And for, for these Israelites, when they experience Passover, when they eat that barbecued lamb, I don't know if you've ever had barbecued lamb, but it's phenomenal, okay? When they eat that, they're going to remember. When they smell it cooking, they're going to remember. Uh, this is uh, I thought about this this morning as I was preparing. Um, there is a song, and when I hear it, it immediately takes me back to 15-year-old Will, okay? And, and, and the, the song is the Garth version of To Make You Feel My Love, okay? Y'all, are y'all familiar with that? Adele did a remake recently, okay? And immediately when I hear that song, it takes me back to 15-year-old Will who went to summer camp and fell in love with a girl and all the angst and emotion of I'll never see her again. She leaves an hour and a half away. And, and I never did see her again, by the way, okay? It's heartbreaking. But when I hear that song, it brings me back there. And that's what God is doing in the Passover. That's why there's so much instruction on, do it this way. Because he wants there to be that reminder of, you smell that lamb? You smell that bread? Remember what I did. He's giving these instructions so that they can remember. And as they revisit that moment, they could share with their family, with their children, with this younger generation, look, here's why we're doing this. Let me tell you about what God did for us. As we gather together at families, Glenn gave us a challenge, I can't even tell you how long ago, that we need to be taking the Lord's Supper in life group. And I'll be honest, as a life group leader, I've failed in that. And the reason he challenges us to do that is so that we can have this conversation, particularly with our younger ones or with people who who don't know the Lord. We can say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. me. Let me remind you of what happened. Of the cost, okay? This morning in, in my quiet time was Isaiah 43. And in and, and verses 1 through 4, as I read them, man, it just, the Lord just said, this is for today. It says this, Isaiah says this to, to the people of Israel. He's prophesying, he says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. There's that idea of God saying, I did this, and therefore you are mine. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. And through rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and, when the, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Isaiah is saying, Israel, remember what the Lord has done. Remember the cost that was paid for your your life. God is reminding them that, that not only did God set them free, but that it was costly. And that God paid that price because He loved them. And We see too as we move through history that this aspect of God's love does, does not change. He continues to do what is costly for your sake and for mine. In Exodus 27 it says this, You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck down the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Their response to God's activity was worship. Look, this is not always the case for us. You remember when Jesus healed the possessed man? from, from uh, He had legions in him. Jesus gets off the boat and he comes on shore and there's a man there who, who everybody knows is possessed, okay? And, and, and the, the demons even plead with Jesus and say, don't cast us out. Or if you're going to, at least throw us into these pigs. So Jesus says, okay. And so he casts them out into the pigs and the pigs run off into the water and they all drown and die. You remember the people's response to that? The man fell and worshipped. But the people of that village, when they heard of it, they ran in fear. You know why they ran in fear? They had no context. They didn't understand. They didn't know that this was a work of God. Something crazy just happened, right? These pigs—something just came out of this man who we know was not right. And one of these pigs and these pigs drowned, and it frightened them. It says in verse thirty-seven of Luke chapter eight. Then all the people of that surrounding country—of I'm not even going to pronounce that—you can read (laughs) it—the name of the place—asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So we got into the boat and returned. When God is working, we find two responses. Either it causes people to worship or it causes people to fear. And which is experienced is based on the experience of those people that are around them. If there was someone there who had walked with God and knew the things that Jesus was able to do, they would have had a different reaction. They would, the, the, the reaction would have been worship like the man. He obviously was very intimate with Jesus in that moment because Jesus had just healed him and removed those demons for him. Look, as we're joining God to set people free, a part of our call is going to be to walk with people through hard things and give them context and say, look, I know that life looks really bad right now, but let me tell you what my experience has been. Let me tell you what happened when I walked through something like that. A great, great example of that is these tornadoes in Ruston. I can, I can appreciate what those people are going through because when I was in junior high, a tornado jumped my house and landed in my neighbor's front yard. And, and our yard was devastated. Thankfully, our house was okay. But all the big, beautiful trees just about got blown over. Our, fur- our deck furniture was in our neighbor's yard, just sucked right up off the thing. I can give context and I can say, yes, it's tragic and it's painful and it's going to be a lot of work. But I can say from my own experience that though you're the place that you love, you know, when you buy a house, you buy it because it's beautiful. It's the one you want. And when something like a tornado happens and it destroys everything that was beautiful, you, in your mind you go, how can I ever love this place the way I did before? Well, it may not be the same, but I know from experience that it can be beautiful again. That God can take that damage, He can take that destruction and turn it into something new. Our community, I know from experience, was drawn together after that tornado. We came together, we worked together, and we repaired things. And God did a new work in my life and my neighbor's life because of this coming together during this devastation. And so I can speak into that. And God's going to give you opportunities with the people in your life to be able to give some context and say, I know that life looks really hard right now, but I've been where you are. And this is what the Lord did in my life. In the story of Israel, they responded in worship because they had just walked through all these other plagues where God said, I'm going to do this thing. And then God did it. And so when, when this um, Passover happens, when God sweeps through and He takes away the firstborn of all of Egypt, they're not fearful because they've just seen God protect Israel through these first nine plagues. And they, they have context for what's going on. They know what God is doing because He's told them and they've walked through it already. God told them what was going to happen and then He did it. They worship because they had had enough experiences to know that if God said it, it was going to happen. And look, they were worshiping in faith that had been cultivated by their experience. And that's the whole point. What God is trying to do in this Passover is to give context to the people of Israel and say, I know that you have been lost for the last 430 years, but I am your God. I am your protector. I am your salvation. God doesn't want to just set people free for the sake of freedom. He wants to set people free to know Him and to grow in relationship with Him. God's purpose in setting people free, free from dead religion is not just so that they're free from dead religion it's so that they're free so that they can know him personally about their personal time about spending time with the lord and then it's not just about a list of do's and don'ts but it's about a god who loves you and wants to be personal with you but we have to allow god to train our flesh god's given us a mission not because we're good at it because we're not not because we're able, because we aren't, but because our spirits are willing. And I know that our spirits are willing because we worship, right? But we have to allow God to train our flesh to respond to the work that the Spirit's doing. We're willing to, to do this work that God's called us because we have tasted and seen the goodness of what God has done in our lives, and we want to share that. Our spirit wants to share that. Sometimes, our flesh doesn't abide. I was reminded as I was studying this week of a a passage from a, a John Piper sermon where he says, worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. And that is why we go because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus and we want all families of the earth included. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. We join God in this mission of setting people free to establish relationships with people. And, and we have to earn the right to be heard so that we have an opportunity to tell them and to show them how much God loves them. I love, Dario, today you sharing this, this process of we're going to bring someone into our home and we're going to become their friend. And then they're going to come to know the Lord. And then I'm going to make them a disciple. And then we're going to make them a disciple maker. That's what this is about. It's God revealing himself to us through his people last point I want to make today. Passover is a love story to God's people. When we look at this, we don't necessarily think love story. When we look at the plagues, we look at the destruction, we look at the devastation of losing children. That's not immediately where our mind goes, but that's what it is. It's the beginning, really, of the most incredible love story. Look, let me, let me explain it to you this way. Anytime we want to share something big with somebody, we, we, we give it some setup, right? Like, we, we want to we make it big, right? Like, if you want to give somebody a gift that's a really big deal, you're like, hey, close your eyes first. Let me get this out, right? The other day, it was my birthday, and my kids got something for me, they're really excited about it. And so they're like, Dad, close your eyes, close your eyes. And they went outside, and they brought the thing around, and they're like, okay, open them, right? They wanted some setup for it. Or, or if you need to tell somebody something, you're really excited about it, and you're like, okay, I've got to tell you something. But first, know this, everything's okay. Right? That's some setup. You're like, oh, crap, what's about to happen? Or, or if, guys, guys, if you don't know this, hear me out on this. If you want to ask a girl to marry you, get down on one knee. Right? Isn't that some setup? When you drop to that knee, they know what's coming. Right? Ladies, guys, do not bend down and tie your shoe in front of your girlfriend, ever. Don't do it. If you've got to tie a shoe, you squat, okay? This does not say proposal, all right? We like stories, and we like setup. And we see, if we look, okay, I'm going to throw a fancy term out there. If we look at the narrative structure of this love story, we're going to see that God is doing all of this just to show the depth of his love. He's doing every bit of this. He's setting up his story. Okay, the first act, act one, is all about the setting. It's the fall all the way to Exodus chapter 7, verse 13. We see all of this happening. Adam and Eve choose to sin. It separates us from God, and God says, okay, I got it. I got it. You messed up, but I got it. Okay? The second act is about the conflict where we see, um, this is verse, chapter 7 verse 14 through um, chapter 12 verse 30 where God sends Moses into Pharaoh demanding that he set his people free. There's this conflict that's happening where God is saying let them go and Pharaoh said no I'm not going to let them go. Let them go, no I'm not going to let them go. We have all this conflict that's building up to this final thing where God says I'm going to get them out. I got you. And then the final act, act 3, is the resolution. And that's Exodus 12, 31 through forever. Okay? And we're going to look at the Exodus next week. We're not going to get it out of this week. Okay? But the third act is the resolution where God not only frees them, but he sends them out of Egypt with favor in the Egyptians' eyes and he plunders Egypt just by them asking for it. Wow. Talk about God taking care of people. God said, you've been in slavery for 400 years. I'm taking care of you because I love you. Look, we've talked about before that our stories are all we have to share. And this is Moses' story. Now, don't compare yours to his. You're not Moses, okay? You don't have a staff that turns into a snake. Don't even try to make the comparison. But what's similar about your story and Moses' story is that it's God's activity in your life. Look, when we authentically share with someone what God is doing in our lives... It causes, if it authentically causes us to worship, that's what's going to happen when we share it. Look, I don't know about you, but, but a couple of weeks ago when, when Carrie and Kara shared their testimony about what God did through the foster process of, of Alyssa in their lives, I don't know about you, but that caused me to worship. Okay? I don't know about you, but last week after David's baptized, and we, talk, we sing the next song about the goodness of God, man... For me, that was some sweet worship. God has done all of this because He wants His people to know Him. And and He's given us opportunities to share that because we are His plan for the world to know about who He is. He could do it in any way. But He wants it to happen through us. He wants us to experience Him and and then just be so elated that we just can't wait to tell other people about it. Look, as a people of God who were purchased at a great cost, we need to remember often the work that God has done for us and the price that was paid so that we could know Him. Jesus tells His disciples during the Last Supper, which, by the way, is a, is a new celebration, or is, the Last Supper was a celebration of the Passover. He, he, he reveals to them this new covenant that's coming, that the story is continuing, that the story is not over. God has not forgotten His people. That God loves him and he's about to do something new. And, and he's explaining that, that he is the perfect lamb. When he says, this is my body that was broken for you, he's saying, I am the Passover lamb. When he says, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, he's saying, the blood that was put over the door, the, the door frame, that was my blood. And it's now going to cover you. Last passage, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-three through 26. And this is Paul uh, in his letter to the Corinth. And, and, and he's, he's explaining to them what this idea of, of the new covenant is in the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, After supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, and remember it's in me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How do we, as a church, join God to set people free? We gather, and we eat, and we share stories, and we remember the price that was paid for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the work that you have done for all of us. God, that you spared no expense, that you, you paid whatever price was necessary because you love us. And God, I, I just ask that as we spend time with you daily, Father, that you would reveal to us that you would awaken our hearts to the truth that you love us. That, God, it doesn't matter what the world says about us. It doesn't matter what kind of failure we think we are. But, Father, the truth is that we are loved. And that, God, it would make us so excited that we can't help but tell people about it. That as we gather together, as we share meals with one another in our life groups, that that what it would be about is not about the food and not about the stress before we got there or the stress of trying to get home and get kids in the bed. But, Father, we could just take a moment... And just enjoy you. Father, as we sit down as a family and enjoy a meal, that God, it it could be about you. And that we could tell our children, this is what the Lord has done. Not because he had to. Not because he needed to. But because he wanted to.